We are going to be reading from Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You may be seated. Good morning. We enter a text here this morning in Acts chapter 8, the end of Acts chapter 8, that speaks to, in many ways, perhaps as you read it this week in preparation for this morning, you saw the personal element that's involved in preaching Christ. The one-on-one, if you will, of Philip sitting in the chariot with this Ethiopian eunuch. And perhaps you are stirred as you read the text and lots of questions and lots of concerns and perhaps for some of you some worries about opening my mouth and speaking Christ to someone. To someone you may not know. I pray this morning as we look to the word as we see in this text some clear instruction on how we go about these things in terms of carrying the gospel. We talked about that a week or two ago, being a carrier of the gospel and preaching Christ, speaking of Christ. I pray that we'll also be reminded to see this in the big context of the church because that's the context in which Acts chapter 8 sits. So before we dive in, I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for this time this morning with the word open. Father, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would grant us understanding. 
Give us wisdom, Lord. That we might not just be able to hear words spoken this morning, but Lord, the very words we are reading on the page of Scripture, these words have power to save. Father, there's a power that's been given to those in Christ. It's a power that, going back to Acts chapter 1, that Jesus instructed his own disciples, his followers, that when the power from on high comes, he gave specific direction on what to do with that power. It was to be used to be a witness to Jesus. And I pray, Father, that in the same manner today, this power that's been given to those of us in Christ, this power of the Holy Spirit, would be used to be a witness to Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be reminded of these truths, these basic fundamental truths, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a believer. We are grateful for such a text as the one we have open before us this morning. Teach us, I pray. And I pray you would use the words that I speak this morning. Lord, I pray they would be your words, your words of truth this morning. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we need to recall here right up front that the church is going through a time of persecution. Stephen has been stoned to death at the end of Acts chapter 7. Saul is on a mission of his own to destroy all those who align themselves with this man, Jesus Christ, the leader of what becomes known as the way. The scattering of the church was on, beginning of Acts chapter 8. We read last week in Acts 8, 4, and 5 that those who were scattered, they went everywhere. What'd they do? They went everywhere preaching the word. And then we see in verse 5, Philip, one of those scattered church folks. He goes to Samaria where he preaches the Christ. And Samaria, as we, we found out last week, Samaria had been under the banner of the magic arts for quite some time. Led by a sorcerer named Simon. And when Philip arrives on the scene, the city of Samaria believes and receives this word of God as Philip preaches it. The light of Jesus Christ pierced that deeply rooted darkness that had been prevalent for so long in the city of Samaria. And lives were forever changed as a result of a representative, an obedient representative of the church preaching Christ. One representative of the church. I'd like you for just one moment to consider the powerful influence of one member of Christ's church. His church is being built according to his plan. Remember we said back in, in Matthew's gospel that Jesus said, I will build my church. He's going to do this. And as we'll see here in the text, he's going to do that with the parts of his body. Very important for us to understand that. He uses the parts of his body to accomplish this very purpose. His church, which the book of Acts describes in great detail, dating back to the first century, is actively pursuing, practicing, and proclaiming this gospel. Now, Philip is put forward here in Acts chapter 8 as an example of one part of the church. A part 
characterized by a willing and obedient heart. That's important for us to know. The Lord, in today's text, is calling Philip another direction. He has another mission for his servant to accomplish. Another mission with the same intended result in mind. Discipling the nations. Subtitled the message this morning, a church where Christ's mission is accomplished. Christ's mission. We saw that Philip preached last week to the masses in Samaria. The multitudes. This week, Philip preaches to an individual while seated in a chariot. While in Samaria, Philip preached Christ. While ministering to an individual this week, he preaches Christ. The message does not change. How he communicates this message, this gospel will change in light of speaking to some who already had a concept, the Samaritans already had a concept of this Messiah. And then here today we see an individual who seems to be very curious about the Scriptures. He seems to have some understanding. We don't know to what extent, what level. There are some clues in the text. But I do believe, based upon the text... He's a bit in the dark about this man, Jesus Christ. So Philip is going to unveil and pull back the blinds, so to speak. Allow him to be able to see and hear about this man, Jesus. We see in both of these scenarios with Samaria and also with the individual eunuch. Philip is used by God to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is this gospel in short? In short, it it would be considered a a message, a good news message of what Christ accomplished. I mean, that's the core of it. What Christ accomplished in both his life and death. If we were just to put a real succinct statement to it. It's important for us also here up front to know that this gospel is not exclusively set aside for Philip. One might be quick to say, well, you know, Philip had the gift of evangelism. You know, the scripture later on in Acts 21, verse 8, right, refers to Philip as the evangelist. And so I think it'd be easy for some of us to say, well, you know, he had that gift. I don't have that gift. While it may be true, you may not have that gift. Sharing the good news message of Jesus Christ is not predicated on whether or not you have the gift of evangelism. Sharing the gospel of Christ is what you do when you become a child of God. You see, sharing the gospel is the natural outflow of what it means to be in Christ. Right? Romans 6, our union with Christ. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ compels us, compels us, Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, fact. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Church, I need to ask this morning, does the love of Christ compel you to speak of Jesus with other people? 
The fact that Christ died, the fact that Christ was raised from the dead, and the implications therein. Does that compel you at all? Is, is that the conversation that keeps rolling out of your mouth when you have dialogue with other men? Christ. Philip was known as an evangelist. If you are in Christ, if you have, you, you then have, have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, pointing you toward the things of Christ, guiding you into all truth. We know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are called to be a witness to Jesus, Acts 1.8, and to participate in his mission in making disciples, Matthew 28. So as we look at the text here this morning, verses 26 through 40, just a, a, a brief outline of the text, looking at the mission. We'll see the mission right up front in verse 26, first part of 27. We're going to see then the mission's target, specific target here in this text. And 27 and 28 will give us some details of this, the target, the one to whom Philip is going. And we're going to see the mission's guide very clearly stated in verse 29. Mentioned elsewhere as well, but 29. The mission's work is detailed in 30 through 35. And then we're going to see the mission's harvest in 36 through 38. And the mission accomplished in the last two verses. If we were to put together a summary capsule of this text... It might read something like this, that the church advances the gospel one person at a time through Holy Spirit-filled believers, in this case, Philip, who are willing to be spent for the Lord, who are available to go for the Lord, and who are obedient to proclaim the message of the Lord. See, the church has been given a message. The church has been given a mission. Each individual part of the body of Christ is included in this mission. A mission that points directly to the person of Jesus and does not get sidetracked with promoting or elevating secondary missions. It's important we understand this. He's given us very clear directives. So look at the mission, verses 26 and 27. Right? Angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. You know, it's interesting today I was thinking about this mission, this specific mission that Philip was called to. And I was thinking about even in the church today about how often you see mission statements, right? You've seen them. You've read them. The mission statement oftentimes communicates in a, an objective or set of objectives toward which the church is striving. Here's what we are about. You want to know about our church? We're on a mission to, and you can fill in the blank, depending upon the church. Some of these mission statements sound appealing. They sound right. They, they oftentimes communicate a, a godly sentiment. And yet, how often are mission statements nothing more than statements of men's ideas? 
And I, and I I'll step back from that and I just was asking a question. You know, how, how about consulting God's word for his mission? <laughs> we spend so much time, it seems, thinking about the, just the right crafted words to put on a mission statement. And yet God in his word has given to us his mission. As a part of Christ's church, have you ever found yourself trying to figure out what you need to be doing, your mission, how you fit in to Christ's mission? Are you stumped because you may not know your, for example, uh, spiritual gifts? I don't know what my spiritual gifts are, therefore I'm just, just kind of here. <laughs> your mission as a part of Christ's church is to serve as a witness to Jesus... And to make disciples of all the nations, Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Teaching them what? Teaching them your own ideas? Or teaching them to obey all the things Christ has spoken? That's the mission. Philip, in verse 26, he receives a mission directly from the Lord. His ministry in Samaria is complete for now. And the Lord moves him away from Samaria, further southwest, into a desert place. It's important for us to understand that the mission is still about the gospel, but the location is being changed. The Lord is moving Philip, positioning him where he desires him to be, for the purpose of the bigger mission picture. You see, because the church has been scattered and what is happening here at the end of Acts 7 and into Acts 8 and all the way through Acts 12, we're going to see this gospel of Jesus Christ moving out of Jerusalem into the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria. And eventually it's going to, as we get in next summer, Lord willing, talking about Paul's missionary journeys, it's going to extend to the very end of the earth. The general mission is this in 26. Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. The text then tells us that this is desert. Quite different, perhaps, than his previous mission in Samaria. The text in verse 27 begins this way, though. So he arose and went. Translation Philip obeyed. Philip obeyed. Church, when the, when the Lord is calling to you, speaking to you through his spirit, obey. Obey the directive, even when the mission is unclear, even when the mission is blurry, even when the mission seems to be absent of all the details. You see those heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 come to mind. Examples of believers who walked by what? Faith. They obeyed the Lord, even though they, they couldn't always see the end result. In fact, that list tells us that they didn't. But they obeyed. And you know, things are no different today, church. The Lord still sends his children on mission runs. And he's seeking obedient hearts to follow. 
Notice that Philip is given enough light to take the first step of obedience. He's given enough light. He's not told many details here. He's just told, go. Here's where you need to go. Text says he obeys. You don't see recorded in the text any wavering, any questioning, or doubting of God's mission. Philip receives the mission and he accepts it willingly. The text says he arose and went. Now, something else I'd like to speak to here just for a bit concerning this mission in verse 26. This mission is different than his previous stay in Samaria. Notice that he leaves a, what is a fruitful, very fruitful situation in Samaria. Now he's being called into a desert place. The environment of this mission has changed. The heart of the mission hasn't changed, but the surroundings have. The surroundings of this mission have changed. You see, when the Lord clarifies a mission for you, here's a question. Are you hesitant to go in light of what you perceive to be a negative environment, an uncomfortable environment? Are you slow to obey when the circumstances surrounding your mission place you in that uncomfortable situation? You know, I was reminded of this in a large way as I was thinking about years ago went on a trip, a mission trip to Jamaica. And was, at the time, Avery was seven. And we went to Jamaica. And, and I'll never forget the, the lesson that the Lord taught me while I was there those first two nights. Because here I was in this room, Avery and I were bunking together, and there were, I don't know, four or five, there were several bunks in this pretty small room. And each of us had one of those little, small, not big, small, probably, maybe that big round, little window box, like a box fan that was right on a shelf right by the bed. Praise the Lord, we had a, had a fan. Yeah, however small it was. Praise the Lord, we had a fan. I don't know that I praise the Lord as much in the moment as what I, what I do now. But anyway, during those first two nights, I was... I was pretty bitter. I was pretty bitter. You know, all I could think about was, I'm not very comfortable sleeping. In fact, I would, I would sleep for about an hour, and then I would wake up in sweat. And I'd roll over on the other side of the bed and sleep for about an hour and wake up in sweat. And, and it's, you know, just back and forth for two nights. I was uncomfortable. I was miserable. I wanted to... I, and the Lord got my attention on that second night and came to the realization, you know what? There are people who live here. This is the environment they live in. They have to deal with this all the time. Hot, humid, bugs. Here I am. I'm accustomed to being in a home that has air conditioning. You see, when the Lord sends you on a mission, is it possible that, that we get so caught up in what I need, what I think I need, what I want, that we miss what it is the Lord is doing, His purpose for sending us on a mission? Oh, I praise the Lord. Philip, Philip got this message. And the example that we see here in the text is eye-opening for us to be able to see how Philip responds to the call. 
we see the mission's target come to light in 27 and 28. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. This mission has a, a target. Now, what's interesting is that as the reader, we get to be introduced to the target. Philip has really just been sent. And he goes to where he's supposed to go. We get some background. Praise the Lord, we get to read about this and see who he is about to hook up with in the chariot. He's been told to go south. This mission from the Lord may not include many details up front, but, but the mission Philip attended to had an object, had a target, a man, an Ethiopian man. Ethiopia, Africa. A eunuch. A man who essentially was set apart to serve under the queen. You see, there are many eunuchs oftentimes in the court serving a king or a queen. They're, they're set apart, if you will, for service unto, in this case, the queen of Ethiopia. This man was in a very influential position. He was in charge of the queen's treasury. I believe this man to be a very influential man in Ethiopia. And the text here provides not only who this man is, but why it was he found himself along this desert road at such a time. The text says he had been in Jerusalem. The text says he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home to Ethiopia. The fact that he would make such a trip to Jerusalem leads you to believe that he was some high-ranking officer in the court. Not just anyone would be allowed to make this trip. I mean, it was quite an extensive trip. Months. Also, the fact that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship and is now found returning tells you a bit about this man. He's familiar, at least in some measure, some degree, with the things of God, the ways of Judaism, the ways of religion. He's heard of Jerusalem, the feasts, the temple of God, perhaps. Maybe, maybe he was going to check these things out. Maybe this is our genuine first century seeker. At any rate, the Lord has given Philip a mission. But don't miss this. This is important in the text, I believe. It seems the Lord has sent the eunuch on a mission as well. You see, so often in this text, we look at Philip and his mission. What about the eunuch? See, church, we need to understand something. That there are those outside of the body of Christ. The Lord, in one of the roles and ministries of the Holy Spirit, is a convicting work. The Lord is also preparing hearts of those outside his church to receive his word. The Lord is at work in the life of the eunuch. 
You read this text and it's unmistakable. The timing of all things. Of this man going back to his homeland and Philip receiving a call to come and join himself to the chariot. I believe God is the only one who can bring about such divine intersections. The object of Philip's mission was in sight. The eunuch was sitting in a chariot reading the scroll of Isaiah. And remember, to this point, Philip has been told where to go. Now he's about to get further directions in the mission. Remember, he had a particular light given to him. Now he's been obedient. He's gone. And now in verse 30, we're going to see the mission's guide. Who would that be? The Holy Spirit. Verse 29. Then the Spirit said, Go near and overtake or join yourself to alongside the chariot. So after arriving on the scene at his intended destination, this desert road leading south toward Gaza, out of Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit speaks. There's some question here. Perhaps you asked this question yourself as you read the text. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord speaks. Verse 29, the Spirit speaks. Luke could have the same person in mind, or perhaps he truly meant two different parties speaking to Philip. The significant takeaway right here, let's just be clear on what the significant point is. Philip's mission is divinely orchestrated. Can we agree on that? It's divinely orchestrated. The Lord who called him to the desert road is the same Lord who is now speaking to him, calling him to join himself to that chariot. To this chariot, he said. This one. The mission's guide. Church, we need to understand. The mission's guide is not unique to Philip. The same guide here in the text is also guiding you today if you are in Christ Jesus. John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, When he, that's the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And in speaking to the longevity of this guide in your life, in Christ, Jesus says these words in John 14, 16. He says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you Forever. Isn't it great? That in this mission that you've been given. That God has seen fit to give you a personal guide so to speak. One who literally dwells with you forever. That's what the text says in John. This guide God has given you. he's, He's particular in his guiding. He is only going to guide you to the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible elsewhere says, test the spirits. Test. See if it's in accordance to the truth of Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit is speaking, you you may have heard some people talk about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's telling me this. Well, the Spirit will tell individuals certain things, but we need to be clear that what the Spirit speaks is in accordance and in alignment with the truth of God's Word. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is the co-author of the Scriptures. 
He's not going to go against what he's already spoken. Test the spirits. He's not going to guide wrongly. And isn't that a comforting thought? God has given to us a holy guide who specializes in manifesting the truth of Christ. The mission guide for Philip has called him to go near the chariot. And once again, no specifics are recorded other than go near that chariot. And notice what makes it into the text again at the beginning of verse 30. It says, so Philip ran to him. Obedience. Obedience. Luke is weaving an account of the early church and yet at the same time is pointing out the importance of obeying the voice of the Lord. Church, let's obey the voice of the Lord. Let's obey what this word calls us to. So we see Philip in his obedience has now come alongside the chariot. He's in position. He's in position to hear the eunuch reading something. The text says that he was reading from Isaiah the prophet. Now, reading back in that day oftentimes was done aloud, which coincides with Luke's detail of hearing Isaiah being read. The guide had called Philip to head south to this desert road. He then called him specifically to join himself to this chariot. Upon arrival at the chariot, hearing now the words of Scripture being read aloud, Philip is given a mouth and wisdom to speak to this man. The mission's work is ahead of Philip. And you look at 30. He runs, heard him reading, and he said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? Unless someone what? Guides me or explains it to me. The word there has in mind one who takes another by the hand as though the one needing direction. You know, the other day I was in the coffee shop and, and, and as I was preparing this message, it was interesting because there were two people that came in the coffee shop. One of them was blind. Was holding on to the arm of the other who was leading. The word here in the text has in mind one who is leading, one who is guiding, one who is in need of being led. When you think about a blind person, they do need someone to lead. Oh, this scenario where Philip comes alongside the chariot and asks the question, do you understand? And, and do you hear the response of the eunuch? I hear a heart that's receptive. I hear a heart that is willing to put forward and put out on the table. I don't know. How can I? Unless someone guides me and explains it to me. You know, church, we, we live in a, in a day where there aren't very many people who are willing to submit that kind of answer. Why? Because we don't like for people to know that we don't know. I'll say it this way. We are oftentimes a very prideful folks. <laughs> prideful. We don't want anybody to unmask or unveil what we don't know. Because, oh, if, if they found out we didn't know this, what would they think of me? 
Do we fear man in that? I see here this, this eunuch, he is, he is at such a, a position. I, I, I love the response, these, these two exchanges. The exchange, first of all, do you understand what you're reading? You've got a Greek-speaking Jew and Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, presumably a, a black man, somewhat familiar with the things of God, a man who's traveled quite a distance to worship, to check out the things of God. And he says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? So we have a guide in the Holy Spirit who is guiding Philip in the mission And we see that the eunuch himself is asking for a guide. Someone to explain to him. Notice what he does in 31. He asked Philip to come up and sit with him. I want you to see a few things right here in the text. The mission's work is is a partnership. Okay. Corinthians speaks to this, 3, verses 6 through 9. Remember Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Remember that? He says, neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. He who plants, he who waters are one. We're partners in this. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. The mission's work also includes your involvement as a part of the church. Think of how silly it would be if the Lord spoke to Philip to go south and then he spoke to him, go near the chariot. And then you see Philip just standing there. You know, the eunuch probably after a while would go, hey, can I help you with anything? Is everything okay? No, there's work to be done. He's... If, if he were just standing there waiting, waiting again for the Lord to do something, the Lord called him to the road, the Lord called him to the chariot, and now he's standing there waiting for another instruction, another something to do. You see, we need to understand from the text, the Lord has already been doing something. He, he guided Philip to that moment in time, and it seems the Lord had been doing a work in the life of this eunuch as well. Church, is it possible, as we look at the text, is it possible that the Lord has been calling, has been directing, has been guiding, and maybe you have moved, maybe you have obeyed his voice to this point or up to a certain point in time, but now he has you in position to carry out his mission's work. And you've been in park for some time now. The mission's work includes your involvement. He is guiding and leading, but he's seeking workers who, like Philip, are willing to enter the mission field. God has given to them. I'm not talking about going overseas somewhere, necessarily. The mission field is all around us, isn't it? People who are willing to risk Rejection. People who are willing to risk and face humiliation. People who are willing to speak for the cause of Christ. People who are willing to preach Jesus. You see, the mission's work here in the text. Much of it happens, it seems, while riding along in a chariot with the eunuch. Now, right here, many of you are saying, well, you know, Philip is is an evangelist. I'm not. And to that I say, you're, you're, you're right, Philip is an evangelist, but, but that does not take you off the hook of the responsibility that God has given to you as one of his children. 
You see, if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you too have the all-sufficient resource in the Holy Spirit to carry out the mission's work. Notice the place in the scripture where the eunuch had been reading. Look at verses 32 and 33. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. You know, there was one this week as I was uh, studying and preparing for this, in light of those two verses there, he went on and he he says this, he says, with what scripture could any evangelist have begun more appropriately in order to preach Jesus to one who did not know him? Is this of God or not? (laughs) I believe this is wholeheartedly of God, this intersection of Philip and this eunuch. He comes alongside, he hears this part of Isaiah 53. By the way, these two verses in Isaiah 53 come from a larger context in Isaiah 53, which speak of Jesus as a suffering servant. A suffering servant. For telling the Messiah to come. The one who would literally be led as a sheep to the slaughter. Christ died was murdered, as Peter says in his sermon, Acts 2, on the cross. The terminology here in Isaiah is that of sheep and lambs. I want you to notice that. Animals used in sacrifices. The one Isaiah points to is the spotless lamb of God. The one John the Baptist said, here is the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yes, Isaiah is pointing to this one in whom, in his own flesh, would serve as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of many. In fact, these two verses are are so important and significant to the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Look at it. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And if you read the entirety of Isaiah 53, you can't miss the atoning, the substitutionary work, if you will, of what Christ did. As it's written, it's pointing to what he will do. But now on the other side of the cross, we can use that tense, what he did, what he accomplished. I want you to look at what the eunuch says in 34. I believe it's instructive for the reader. To see the the eunuch's level of understanding or lack thereof, right? He says, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? The Lord right here just opens the door wide. Once again, Philip goes through that door. Look at verse 35. Philip opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. And beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. This is so, so important, church, that we get this. The mission's work is to preach Jesus. And whether you find yourself in the Old Testament or the New Testament, 
the mission is Christ-centered. Keep in mind that the eunuch didn't have the luxury of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? He didn't have that before him. Nor any of those wonderful Pauline epistles. He had the Old Testament scrolls. And in particular, on this day, in this moment, he had the scroll, or scrolls perhaps, of Isaiah. He had Isaiah the prophet. The mission's work must be preaching Jesus. All of the Bible points to Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is the highlight, He is the centerpiece. And isn't it instructive that using the prophets, Philip preaches Jesus to the man. One writer said that the gospel is disclosed in a person, the incarnate Christ himself. Salvation is not a theological abstraction, but a living relationship with the Son of God. The eunuch was seemingly not aware of who this suffering servant might be. Isaiah, perhaps, the writer, or someone else. Notice he doesn't submit Jesus as an option here. Now, perhaps he maybe heard of Jesus. I don't know. But he asks the question absent of Jesus. And, you know, Judaism of the day would, would not have associated, it's, it's important for us to Understand that. Wouldn't have associated Jesus as a suffering servant. I mean, remember that many of the Jews missed the Messiah. Do we remember that? Many of them missed the Messiah. They rejected the Messiah when he came. And now the eunuch who had, he had been to Jerusalem to worship. And may I ask what he worshipped while there? Who did he worship? What did he hear? Perhaps he heard some things about God, an allusion to this God of heaven. But it seems the eunuch still had a big gap about this religion that everyone seemed to be talking about. Thus his curiosity to go. One writer said that Philip was able to tell the Ethiopian. Not only that these prophecies referred to here in Isaiah. Not only that these prophecies referred to Jesus, but that they had been fulfilled by him. And that his resurrection from the dead had shown that Jesus, the innocent sufferer, was in fact the promised Messiah, King, Son of God and Redeemer. Who knows how long Philip sat in that chariot Discussing the sweet things of the Lord with them. Who knows? I tend to believe it was probably a nice long conversation. Preaching Jesus, though, he no doubt touched on the cross, as is evident right here in the passage. I mean, that, he began right there. His burial, perhaps, his resurrection. Seems also that he spoke of what it means to follow Jesus as well. He didn't just give him what he needed in order to, to necessarily be saved. And then, then just, you know, you, you'll be fine after that. It seems like he talked about what it means 
to identify himself as a believer in Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Well, the text here shortly is going to speak to the eunuch having some understanding about this thing called baptism. Which is kind of interesting that he brings it up. And you know, as you think about this text in Acts 8, I, I would draw your attention to Luke chapter 24 as well because there there's, there, there's some similarities. Remember those two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus? And remember the stranger that comes alongside of them? Remember that? And he's talking to them about things of Christ. Christ himself is talking about himself and kind of trying to help these two disciples who are walking away. And you might also remember that as he's opening the scriptures to them, that they also share in a sacrament together. They break bread together. You might also remember in that same context that Jesus vanishes. He leaves. There's some similarities here because there's a sacrament here also that's involved in the text in Acts 8. happens to be baptism. We look at 36 through 38. We see this harvest. This harvest. As they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Here is a man who, he's ready. He's desirous to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's had the gospel preached to him. Christ specifically preached to him. And Philip says in 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, whether we want to put forward, you know, the margin in your footnote will say that this verse 37 wasn't included in many of the manuscripts that this was. We can say what we want there. The bottom line is what is recorded here in verse 37 is very true. <laughs> it's very true. And perhaps there was an early scribe who, who desired to um, put forward some, to, to give some, some, some help and understanding as to what led to what. And so putting verse 37 in there kind of fills in a little bit, helps us understand a little bit more of the context. The bottom line is what Philip says in 37 and the response in 37 from the eunuch are very true. If you believe with all your heart, you may. You see, baptism, baptism is, is an identification. If you just want one word to define baptism, it would be identification. Identification, first and foremost, with Jesus Christ. Secondly, identification with Christ's church. And this eunuch saw water. Having been and having heard about this Jesus, Philip no doubt spoke to him about this act of obedience, of getting baptized. He sees water. It's interesting, he sees water in a desert area. But you know, as I'm thinking about this harvest, Verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. When you've been a part of a baptism, those those never get old. Seeing the expressions on faces as they come up out of the water. This proclamation that, that, that I am I'm going to and desire to 
identify myself with Jesus the remainder of my life. Remember back in the first century, to be baptized into Christ was dangerous. No one entered into that lightly. Identification with Christ. All this eunuch was desiring to do just that here. They get into water. He baptizes him. You know, as you think about this harvest and all that's taken place up to this point, it is interesting to think about what went into this harvest. You know, I would, I would turn your attention just a moment to uh, even back to 1 Kings chapter 8. Some of you may be wondering what's that. That's Solomon in his prayer of dedication to the temple. And part of his prayer, this is so wonderful, part of his prayer is in verse 41. He says, he's been running through this whole list of things that he's calling upon God to hear in heaven. Here, here in heaven, this phrase keeps coming back. And he gets to verse 41. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake. For they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. Perhaps, perhaps this Ethiopian eunuch had heard of these very things. When he comes and prays toward this temple, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. You see, I, I think, as we think about this mission, the harvest of the mission, I'm reminded of this prayer of Solomon. Oh, church, it, it is important for us to understand that prayer matters. Prayer is such an important work here in this harvest, in this mission harvest. Are we praying? Are you praying that someone that you know, perhaps it's a worker, perhaps it's a neighbor, a friend, are you praying for the Lord to bring about this work, opening eyes, opening ears to hear the truth of Jesus Christ? Are we praying about it? I believe, church, oftentimes, to our shame, that may be one that we bypass. I also reminded of, of Isaiah 56. Not only is Isaiah 53 what was read there in the, in, the, in the chariot, but Isaiah 56 would be a wonderful promise as well. And in Isaiah 56, there, there's a promise here about this foreigner and the foreigner is going to, um, there's going to become a day. Because see Deuteronomy chapter three, 23 verse 1 spoke of a time when, when these foreigners, these eunuchs, were not even allowed to enter into the religious assembly. But there came a day. There came a day when all that would change. What a wonderful, wonderful truth and promise. 56 verse 3, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here, I, here am I, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, choose what pleases me and hold my, fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's a promise. What a wonderful promise. And I wonder, it's not stated in the scripture, but I wonder 
if Philip shared that wonderful news with this eunuch? What a joy. What a joy to think about the mission's harvest, that there's prayer involved in it. You think about all the details involved in this. There's prayer. There's ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. There's a preacher, an evangelist, one who is sent. There's the Word. Yes, even the Old Testament Scripture. Isaiah the prophet. Many things have gone into this harvest. This didn't just happen. Sometimes perhaps we forget, this is bigger than me. God is doing a work behind the scenes. There is a mission accomplished. Look at the last two verses. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. It reminds me of Ezekiel. Or not Ezekiel, but Elijah. Being caught away. Just caught away. So the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch did. He went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, another Philistine city. And passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. And we'll, we'll pick him up again in Acts 21, verse 8, where we see that he's residing in Caesarea. And we see that he has four daughters who are prophesying. The mission accomplished. Isn't it interesting that at the end of this, the same result is put forward? Because we see that in Acts 8, verse 8, in the city of Samaria, there was great rejoicing. And we see right here at the end of Acts 8 that this man, this eunuch, is in his chariot and he's going back to his homeland rejoicing. He's rejoicing because he now has some understanding not only of what Isaiah 53 says, but he has some understanding of what this passage is pointing to. The primary thing Isaiah 53 is pointing to. The thing that seems seemingly he missed when he went to Jerusalem to worship. He's now received the pearl of great price. Christ. And he goes on his way rejoicing. And it's not spoken. But we're led to believe. He also has everything he needs for godliness and life from this point forward in the Holy Spirit. I would love to see a follow-up to this particular account. And I would love to be able to see that when he arrived back home in Ethiopia, what was the fruit? Those around him, immediate family perhaps, relatives, neighbors, friends, what have you. You see, because when Christ is in you, there's great rejoicing. And that makes a difference. It's intended to make a difference, church. Every part of the church, this is not to put Philip on a pedestal. I hope we don't see this in the text. It's an example of what one who is surrendered and obedient to the mission of church and as a part of the church he's empowered you in the very same way he empowered Philip same Holy Spirit
I'd like to just read one passage before we close. I was reading this, and it sits in the context of Paul's desire that all Israel would be saved. That's his, that was his heart's prayer that Israel would be saved, Romans chapter 10. In that same Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 11, but the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You see, this eunuch knew very little, if any, about this person, Jesus Christ. We read in the Gospels, we read and hear what Jesus has to say, and we see what John's Gospel says about believing in this person, believing in the name of Jesus. It's important that the belief has an object, and the eunuch found out the object of the belief. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Philip, on this day, as he comes alongside the chariot, makes sure that this eunuch hears about this person, Jesus Christ. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Philip's the preacher. How shall they preach unless they are sent? Philip is sent, is he not? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And in that wonderful verse in verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. By the word of God. Even Isaiah the prophet. Church, I'd encourage you, maybe as an exercise this week, as a family, to go through the scripture. Perhaps select some scriptures and talk and discuss how these scriptures point us to Christ. Because all of the scripture points to the person of Jesus Christ. Points us to Christ. Highlights Christ. I pray as we come away from the text that we would consider once again big picture of the church. That we would consider the church's mission as given to us in the word. And as a part of his church, what does that look like for us? Let's be obedient to hear what the Lord would be calling us to. Let's be obedient to go where he may be calling us to go. Let's be willing vessels to be used by the Lord, to be spent by the Lord for His purposes in the time remaining here on this earth. Praise the Lord, Luke includes these two accounts of Philip. Very instructive for us. We have no reason to fear sharing this gospel of Jesus Christ with any other person because we've been given all that we need in the Holy Spirit to be able to share and to be witness and to make disciples of all the nations. He's given to us everything we need for godliness and life in the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it is good. It's good to read your word, to see the truth in your word, to see 
Examples of people who obeyed. Examples of people who walked by faith, even though they didn't have all the answers and all the details of how it was going to all work out. I praise you, Lord, for this example of Philip. And I thank you for this ministry that he carried out with this Ethiopian eunuch. Someone who was quite unlike Philip. Someone who was different in many ways than Philip. Father, I pray that we too, as we encounter people who are different than us, that we would not just push them to the side. Father, we instead would be receptive to what you would have us do, what you would have us say, how you would have us respond. Father, I pray that in all things, our response would be with your word. Our response would be to preach Jesus. I pray, Father, that we would be surrendered vessels, ready and willing to do what you've called us to do and to go where you've called us to go. And to realize as a part of this church, a part of this local assembly here at Hope in Christ in particular, Father, there are so many different things, opportunities. I pray that we would begin even now, even today, praying for those opportunities, praying for what you might do with your gospel, praying that we as a gospel carrier would be bold and willing and courageous to speak these words of truth into the lives of other people for your glory, for your honor, for your purpose. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.